Thanks for downloading the first of two episodes of the C-Suite podcast that we're recording at the fourth Mad World Summit, which has become the global go-to solutions-focused conference and exhibition dedicated to turning talk into action, creating cultures of care, and embedding mental health and well-being as a strategic business priority. My name is Russell Goldsmith. This is actually the third time we've brought the podcast to the event. And once again, I'm going to be chatting to a number of the speakers from today's conference, and we hope that through these short conversations, we'll be able to provide you with a real flavour and understanding of the topics and issues being discussed here today. So kicking off the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Jonathan Keeney, Managing Director at TalkTalk, and his colleague Lee Rogers, who is a performance coach and the founder of TalkTalk's wellbeing community. Now, you're both speaking later this afternoon about harnessing peer networks, which I'm guessing is going to be all about TalkTalk's own wellbeing community. Lee, do you want to just kick off by talking through how that got started? Yeah, sure. So it it started off with a personal experience of mine um, going through mental health challenges. What I really wanted to do is, it took me a long time to make sense of that. About nine years ago, I got to a realisation that actually I could do something with this, having gone through the experience and come out the other side of it. So about four years ago now, I put it my story on LinkedIn. And then from that, I really wanted to then take my experience and then relate it to other colleagues that were going through similar things. And I got really curious around what were the other things that people were challenged by. So for me, it was bipolar. For other people, it might be depression or anxiety. And then it's kind of snowballed into lots of other topics, such as menopause right now. So that's really been what it's all been about. And when you first set up this community how many people kind of joined it roughly about 50 people um, and that took a lo- quite a long time to get it going it wasn't the thing it wasn't the trendy thing to do at the time and, and it was quite clunky if I'm really honest right uh, JK let's just pick up the story there then how have you built the community and, and what levels of engagement are you seeing in it so it's absolutely fantastic I mean I joined the company and you know you can't not be inspired by the story that Lee shared I saw the impact that his story was having on others because actually for those where Lee was talking to them, it was actually normalizing the topic that Lee was discussing, which is a very personal story of his own that was helping other people. Lee asked me to attend this International Men's Day videoing uh, where we brought people together to share their stories. And, you know, I was just having a conversation with people and what we realized is it was starting to normalize that if exco members or executive committee members can talk about their own personal insights then everyone can talk about these things and uh, what that's done is it's allowed us to take on the next topic the next topic and actually bring all the leadership together which then normalizes the topic for the rest of the organization and and, and it's all credit to lee but we now have over 20 percent of the organization that are on the wellbeing community, active members, tackling, you know, some people in some areas of campaigns and others in others. And, and, and it's, it really is helping bring the company together. And we've called it our Talk Talk Together series now. Fantastic. And that's how we launch new campaigns. Lee, are you surprised at the growth or is it something that you kind of expected would, would happen? Surprised initially, because when you start anything off and anyone knowing it, you know, their own business or the startup stuff, it's always hard, really hard work to get it going. Um, you know, the JK will probably say a little of it, is his role that he didn't do that much but actually what it gave people a license to do is it became that much more credible you know like he said seeing exco members with colleagues tackling issues it was kind of revolutionary and it meant that we could really talk about things that were previously weren't talked yeah. about 
Well, I was going to ask actually, can you share any particular examples that, that you know, from any one individual that's, that's, that's you know, yeah, a good so, case so, study on it? So there's one that stands out. So there's a guy called Paul, and I won't use his, his surname, but it, he was at Crisis Point. I had a one-to-one with him. He then wanted to share his story. He'd, he'd recognise that I'd shared my story. And there was, some, there was a real powerful connection between us and it, working alongside JK then in his business area, really there and through the wellbeing community, really showcased and had a massive impact on all of our colleagues across the business. And what it did is say, actually, you know, the, the well-known phrase of, it's okay not to be okay. And his strength and his courage really resonated with all of our colleagues. Brilliant. Uh, JK, what's the, the future plans then for the, for the platform? How are you going to develop it? The platform developed again this week. This week's a really important week. We know we had the International Menopause Day. Uh, we decided to put together the start of the conversation for a new campaign under our wellness um, you know, sort of uh, community. And uh, we had uh, Louise Minchin from the BBC, who's left the BBC, my sister, who's a uh, general practitioner, um, come in and and I presented on a very personal story around the topic. And it's had a profound impact this week where you've got a a TV presenter who potentially feels a little bit out of reach, normalising a topic. A GP who can be a sort of a much more technical and scientific person, normalising a topic. And then the leaders of the business, and in my case, me at this time, normalizing that topic for me and what's happened is now the conversation has really accelerated through the organization and already the peer networks are starting to connect and actually a new community is coalescing under the wellness community that Lee set up which effectively will now take on its own journey and what Lee and you know I, I see doing now is very much sort of checking across all the communities to see which ones need a little bit more investment, a little bit more involvement, which ones need reigniting with new stories and new people to come in. Uh, But we're really excited about what we can do and what we can learn from this next conversation about menopause. Well, listen, thank you so much for for sharing the story. Good luck with the session. Good luck with growing the community. Uh, But for now, Jonathan Keeney, Lee Rogers, thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you very much. So I'm now joined by Estelle Hollingsworth, Chief People Officer at Virgin Atlantic, who is taking part in a panel discussion a little later today uh, that will be chaired by Amanda McKenzie, OBE of Business in the Community, who we're going to be speaking to on the podcast shortly. Um, the keynote is titled, What If Your Job Was Good For You? Um, Estelle, what are you looking forward to discussing in, in that session? Um, we're talking about allowing people to design their own jobs and really the importance of thinking about return to work, basing it on trust, on flexibility, and accountability so people can genuinely take stock of where are they going to be most productive, what gives them most energy and actually how can they build their week based on the task or activity that they have to to manage. Obviously this has been a really, really tough year for your industry in in particular. Um, What I'd be keen to understand is what initiatives have Virgin Atlantic put in place over the last 18 months to support your employees particularly with their mental health and wellbeing? As you say Russ, the... um, Aviation industry has been hit, you know, one of the the, um, hardest industries. We have reduced pretty much by 50% in size. So it's been a really um, difficult time, challenging time for all of us. 
Um, and I think actually one of the big things that we did around wellbeing initially was around the communications that as a company we set out to make sure that everybody got as much information as they could as soon as possible because we were recognised that uncertainty creates stress or anxiety for our people so being proactive around that piece was the starting point for what we did to make sure people felt informed people felt that we were being honest and transparent and giving them information as and when we could give it to them. I think in aside that, we really focused on how can we go through this situation having to make people redundant but with as much care and thoughtfulness as we possibly could and at the time of the pandemic I was actually the vice president of Cabin, so leading our 4,000 circuit crew yeah. um, which was a huge privilege but equally very very challenging and what we did is we were the, one of the first UK airlines to set up holding pools for our crew and pilots okay. whereby when we made people redundant um, we then placed them in a po- holding pool where we set up regular communications with them clearly they were able to go out and get other jobs but with the view that they would come back to us once flying resumed and once things got back to whatever normal was going to look like on the same benefits on the same length of service as when they left Um, and that took away a huge amount of um, anxiety for our crew it was their lifeline in terms of they live and breathe the company they are literally everything that we stand for our crew um, are just fantastic in every way so actually giving them an opportunity of recognizing that they will come back if they wanted to um, was really important to them and during the whole process leading the crew um, we placed so much focus on mental health we lived and breathed it every day we talked about it every day and every Friday coming into that role without exception I did a video where I shared my stories what the crew were you know when they were working at the Nightingale Hospital what they were doing what we were trying to do to support them Um, and it became again a really important source of communication around just them keeping in touch with what we were doing we also every single week ran um, mental health first aider calls um, with our mental health first aiders and crew to give them support because they were then going to go out and support our crew in thinking about how could they help their colleagues, their their, um, friends get through the crisis. And that was fantastic. I mean, the the connection that I had with the crew through those calls was just phenomenal and will stay with me to this day because it was very open, very emotional. People were sharing what they were going through. So it was almost like we were looking after ourselves in order to be able to look after others. Um, And it became, again, a real lifeline for um, for the team of first aiders. And and are we now seeing the team slowly come in back? Yeah, we are. I mean, it's fantastic news. The US goes back flying on the 8th of November, which is just phenomenal for us. And we are ramping up at the moment, bringing our cabin crew back. And in fact, we're giving as much thought and attention to that reintroduction to the company. We've built a a digital tool called Reconnect, um, which gives all of our story around what we've been through, what now, who are we as a company, um, and spending a lot of time with with all of our our teams, actually crew, but also ground teams, making sure that they can come back in the best way possible and and feel again reconnected with our purpose and our vision so yeah it's it's good we've got through the worst for sure Uh, now obviously in researching for this interview I've I've read a couple of the the blog posts that you've posted on the Virgin Atlantic website the first of which was about your be yourself manifesto do you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah definitely be yourself I'm super proud of I mean it's um 
it's at the heart of everything we stand for at Virgin Atlantic. Um, it came about um, because we basically our vision is to be the most loved travel company and our purpose is that everybody can take on the world and there was a real recognition that actually the only way we can achieve both of those is that people can be themselves at work and can bring their true self to work and that's every single person in the company and so when I joined Virgin Atlantic in 2018 we set up the be yourself philosophy and it came from the people because there was an awareness that actually the world isn't perfect and even though we had pockets of brilliance of inclusion um, and real sort of um, understanding of the importance of diversity it wasn't consistent right across the board so we raised awareness of that and actually talked about stories we brought to life the importance of allowing everybody to feel included and embracing the importance of diversity of thought diversity of background gender and every element of diversity and since then it's gone from strength to strength where we have now supercharged our networks we have networks to support um, people with disabilities mental health obviously um, as well as physical disability lgbt plus um, network we've got our gender our female scarlet network um, and also our valued network, which is our ethnic minority. And what is so brilliant is the networks are the people who basically allow us to think about policies or approaches that are missing or existing um, principles or policies that need to be seen through a very different lens. And we're doing a huge amount of work around mental health across all of the, the networks. But I am the exec sponsor of the DEN network, our disability um, network. And um, we're, yeah, we're, we're really bringing to life the importance of making sure when we think about return to work, but every single daily um, habit, are we looking at it from a disability perspective for both our people and our customers. And we're doing a lot of work with our leaders around conscious inclusions. We've basically instigated something around behavioural nudges where we are in the moment nudging our leaders to think about what can they do to create an inclusive environment at work so it, it creates daily habits as opposed to it being a very separate um, piece of work that we talk about um, separately it actually is integrated into their day-to-day -day work um, and then of course we've got passport to change which is all about the communities well so. yeah that's the next one i was going to ask you about because obviously you know with with um, the be yourself is quite internal focus uh, yeah. focus Passport to Change more external, is that? Yeah, right? yeah. absolutely. Tell, tell us about that then. Yeah, Passport to Change is all about the community. So it is connecting our people, our customers and our communities and really thinking about what, first of all, what's the gap in, in STEM in terms of gender? How can we readdress that balance to allow more girls, more females going into those subjects at university, at college, via apprenticeships? Um, and then secondly, it's about the social mobility of recognising that actually not every child has the lifeline to or access to education like everybody else does. And so Passport to Change, we have partnered with Speakers for School, um, as well as Small Peace Foundation and then also the UNHCR to really think about actually how do we bring all of those elements together to pull together a curriculum, 18-month curriculum for children in schools from disadvantaged backgrounds to allow them to really um, experience aviation at its best and to feel a sponsorship from senior executives in the company um, to share our stories with them and to really inspire them to think more broadly about their careers. And I think when you think about it from a well-being perspective, I think sometimes the uncertainty of not knowing how you're going to you know, access higher education, for parents it can be quite stressful. 
And so we're taking away as much of that stress as we can by really allowing people to feel that they have equal access um, to some of the um, the privileges that other people would have and, and really supporting them along the way and providing mentorship and all of the things that maybe some people take for granted. So I think it's, um, it's important from the child's perspective, but also from the parents and the teachers and the wider community as well. It's fantastic. Tremendous. Well, listen, good, good luck with both of those initiatives Thanks, and continuing the, uh, the ongoing development of those. And good luck with the panel session oh, uh, shortly. So um, but for now, Estelle uh, Hollingsworth, thank you for speaking to the C-Suite podcast. Brilliant. Thanks, Russ. So I am now joined by Dr. Wolfgang Seidel, partner and leader for Workplace Health Consulting UK and Europe at Mercer, and uh, Simon Berger, the founder of Madworld. So welcome, gentlemen. Now, I'm going to start with you, Wolfgang. You, you took part in the, uh, the morning keynote panel session, which was on the topic mental health and well-being, from margins to mainstream business priority. Do you want to just give a, a quick overview of some of the topics that, that were discussed? Yeah, first of all, good to be with you here uh, today, Russell, and, and with my friend Simon, of course. The session this morning, I think, was quite inspired in the sense that I think the discourse about mental health is progressing now. While a few years ago, you, we might have just lamented about mental health and we talk, we would have focused on just destigmatizing it, whatever that means. Today, it was pretty down to earth, I think, and there was a consensus amongst the speakers of saying we just need to humanize the workplace. And people realized that not everything that is called mental health needs the intervention of a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist, but in fact we need a way of relating to each other. That's the best preventative action you can take when it comes to stress and various forms of distress. Because having a relationship with people, being connected and doing good for others is actually the most impressive stress-busting exercise, to be honest with you. How can you relate that to some of the um, clients that you work with and, and also in your own company at Mercer? When I talk about my work with clients, of course I help clients to understand what empathy and self-care and helping others and engagement means in the workplace. But in addition to those super important points that just sound fluffy to some people but aren't fluffy, we of course help them also to find the right data to back it up and translate what they are doing into the right type of business language that is also essential for anyone who runs a business. So we know how to create dashboards, we know how to find the data. You all have data on private medical insurance on absence statistics, on demographics. You have data from your employee assistance program, but also from your occupational health service and your health screening. And only if you cross-reference the data, you get the full story of health. And then what you do is to create pathways uh, that people can access in a time of need. And the outcome of that is phenomenal. So if you do proper return on investment calculations, you find that uh, companies who have access to good mental health pathways reduce their exposure in the claims ratios of private medical insurance by 9%, 16% reduction in average cost of claims, 41% reduction in terms of absence associated with mental ill health, and 60% improvement in therapy outcomes. So it's a whole gamut of interventions, some of them on what you might call the softer end of interventions, and the other one 
on the hard-nosed business facts that we also need. One point I would like to add, in order to move the discourse even further, we need organizations to be able to report on health and mental health in particular. It has to be a boardroom issue. It's not supposed to be a nice add-on. It has to be central to your business strategy. And the companies of my clients who do it best are the ones that have conceptualized uh, a company strategy that is talking in the same breath about clients as they are talking about employee well-being because the two of them are inextricably linked. And so are the diversity, equity and inclusion criteria of your colleagues. You know, all the mental health initiatives will probably be hard-going and not lead to very good return on investment and proper outcomes in terms of your subjective well-being if you have a one-fits-all type of health and well-being strategy. But if you are cognizant of how mental health challenges affect differently men and women, younger and older employees, members of ethnic minorities, members of the LGBTQ plus community, then you have got something. And that's not making it complicated, that's just giving you some really good advice as to what your next steps very practically and pragmatically could be. Because there is no point in just having one so-called destigmatizing event after the other with no impact. Yeah. Simon, let's bring you in. First of all, congratulations on getting this event back up and running after uh, 18 months or so. How does it feel to actually be back physically you know, in the building here? Uh, well, I'm over the moon, to be honest. Um, and uh, it's just lovely to get so many people in the room again and to look down at 700 people um, from the opening address this morning just filled me with delight. Uh, and the, I just wanted to say one thing. I mean, I mean, I, I listened to my learned friend um, and doctor with more names and numbers after it, or no initials after his name than anyone I know. And he has lots of statistics. Um, and I just like to share one statistic with you, which is that we all have mental health. It's not one in four, one in six, we all have it and therefore we all have to look after our own and those around them and I suppose I have no medical background whatsoever uh, but all I can say the word that I'm trying to get through today is this is our time this is our time to make the change that we can all make because over the last two years we have all had in some way shape or form our mental fitness affected in some way maybe through grief very sadly for those that had lost loved ones through loneliness stress anxiety and any of the other uh, episodes that people may have felt and i just think now is the time you know if stigma is going to be system systemically eradicated in the workplace for goodness sake let's do it now funnily enough i looked up i looked up the word stigma today and it's it's almost it's, it's something i can't remember the exact um, definition of it in the in the dictionary but it was saying that it is someone who has done something so drastically wrong that they are ostracized from being a, per, a person um, and it actually puts in the definition it gives us an example of mental health isn't that unbelievable so listen for me it is, eradicating stigma is great having your spokespeople your champions your advocates your mental health first aiders the ceos who tell their own story and write cut the checks but as wolfgang said earlier for me it's everyone has to look after their own mental health and others around them and be empathetic and, um, and and look after their own resilience and their engagement both for themselves and for others and in that way we will make systemic change and without systemic change believe me we've been this is our uh, fourth event 
So we're four years down the road. We've made a lot of movement and everyone should be happy about that. But it, we are certainly nowhere near, not even out of the foothills. And if we, but this is our time. I mean, if we could sit here next year and go, wow, what a difference, you know, a pandemic made in lots of other ways, it would be amazing. Excellent. Um, Simon, you're launching a new initiative with um, Wolfgang's company Mercer today. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. So um, Mercer and Mad World are collaborating to create a uh, workplace mental health awareness course for all. The four salient points about why we are different about doing this, because there's obviously lots of training courses out there, is number one, we are using an award-winning film company. We're using film as our medium uh, to company called the edge picture company brilliant they've done so many wonderful things in, in the impact space already we're using celebrity and actors to um, enact and to emphasize key learning points of a curriculum that has been designed by mercer by wolfgang here my by my side then um, the third thing is is that we are putting it out at almost a peppercorn rate so for the, the at 10 pounds an employee if you've got a thousand people in your organization for £10,000, every single member of your staff will be mentally health aware. And the fourth thing, which I think is for me the best thing, is that after you've done the course, which is four 10 minute modules around resilience, engagement, empathy, empathy and self-care, and self -care, thank you, you are then accredited by Mercer as being mentally health aware in your workspace. So just imagine what I was just saying earlier. If everyone is mentally health aware of their own mental health and they're looking after it and those around them, where does stigma have to hide? It's gone systemically forever in that organisation, in the cultural DNA of that organisation. And that's what we're trying to do as a, as a, a collaborative group. Um, and I have to say, I've seen the rushes and the teaser and I'm absolutely immensely proud and emotionally proud of what the entire team has put together and all we need now is for everyone to take up on it and our common phrase for this project is there's no change unless we all change so I'm embracing anyone who's listening and anyone who I know to do this I've certainly everyone I've spoken to this morning has promised me they're already signed up because there's we've placated any negative no budget what do you mean no budget if you've got a hundred people in your organization it costs you a thousand quid I mean, it's, 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 it's like half a bus ticket for one of your employees. So I'm very, very excited about the project. Uh, Wolfgang, what's, what's been your involvement in, in putting this together? So my involvement was um, humble as I am. I wrote the script and uh, did the scientific advice. And I had the pleasure of interviewing six top-class celebrities about their own mental health story. You know, there's someone who was the world champion in boxing, there is a supermodel, there is somebody else who works for the BBC, there is somebody who used to be one of the most um, impressive footballers, now retired. There are people in there who are famous in the acting world or who have experienced trauma, you know. So, so that's, that was a huge privilege to interview those uh, colleagues. We don't interview like journalists. We really practice what we preach. We use empathy to have a conversation. We get incredibly valuable information from those uh, big stars who have a good story to tell about how they uh, fell into the depths of um, mental distress and how they came out of it the other end. The other aspects of it um, is that, uh, of course, I um, sort of uh, am in front of camera a little bit as well to talk about some of the scientific underpinnings in a very down-to-earth kind of language. We do not want to have people mistake those uh, series of uh, 
films as a lecture at all. If you want a lecture, we can frame that around it. But what you are getting from us is something that reaches out to everyone. It is not limited to managers. It's not limited to a particular country. It really talks to the essence of uh, relating to each other with empathy. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter whether the person you are talking to has, nominally speaking, an eating disorder or a depression or anxiety issues. It's just a way of being human with one another and being cognizant of relevant referral routes so that you, of course, can also discharge your duty of care, um, whether you have it legally or it's just a subjectively perceived duty of care. And it is being... Uh, delivered in a sort of multimedia, very colorful type of way. So you will hear very little of what you're hearing now, i.e. that sort of lecturing tone that we are putting on here, Simon and I, <laughs> or you won't hear any marketing language. What you will be seeing is actors who are not just on top of their profession in terms of acting skills, but also in terms of using their body dance movements so that non-verbally, it translates into all sorts of cultures that you can think of potentially. And then there's just a subtle voiceover to guide the audience. We need to guide the audience a little bit because, as Simon said, we are asking them a few gentle questions at the end that demonstrate to us that they have really truly listened, that they have become more self-aware, that you can trust them more if you were a colleague of, of, of theirs, you know, to look after their own mental health but also look after each other. And I like so much what you dug out of the dictionary there about defining um, the, um, being ostracized as part of your mental health predicament because that really is the essence of it. We know from research again and that will only be told as a story not as a piece of research that the best protective measure you can take in order to prevent distress in your life is actually to have a support network. And, and, and doing good for other people, being altruistic, which sort of makes certain hormones uh, and neurotransmitters rush through your body and make you feel even better than when someone is doing something good to you. So in that sense, I really love what you have thrown into the conversation because relationship is what you matters. See, he's good, isn't he? It's very good. And it's also, he's putting on the Austrian accent, by the way. Yes. He really is, because it makes him sound more sort of like... Um, You're you going to say he's just down the, he's from down the road in East London <laughs> exactly. or something. Well, I, I'm from Sheffield, actually, originally. <laughs> But, but, sorry, let sorry. me just say one thing. I yeah. just want to finish on one thing, because I know we're out of time. But one of the, the uh, celebrities that, was, we, we, that, we, that we interviewed was Frank Bruno, former heavyweight world champion. And when I was trying to say to him, I said to him, look, mental health is a bit, you know, it's a bit like common sense, you know. It's a bit of empathy, a bit of looking after each other, looking after yourself. It's a bit like common sense. And he laughed, and I won't do his accent, but he laughed and he said, he said yeah, he said, Simon, the problem with common sense is it's not very common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was just great. Yeah. Listen, they're all buzzing around setting up yep. for lunch, so we better so. better wrap this up, Simon. We better tell people where they can uh, our listeners where they can actually get the, you know subscribe or find out more information yeah. about the program. Well, look, I'm, I'm a very much I'm very approachable, and I would love you to contact me. You can find my stuff on madworld.com. Uh, but if you want to go and have a little bit to learn a little bit more about the actual program itself, it's www.uk.mercer.com forward slash mental hyphen health hyphen for hyphen all. So if I were you, I'd just call me. <laughs> <laughs> um, good luck with the programme. But for now, Dr. Wolfgang Seidel and uh, Simon Berger, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you, Russ. Thanks a million. 
So I'm now joined by Nick Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Unmind. Uh, Nick is also a clinical psychologist. Um, he was at the uh, panel the session all about nurturing well-being in the hybrid world of work. Nick, I'll come to you in a second about that, but just, just set the scene for us um, in terms of mental health at the moment in, in 2021. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting time. We've obviously just been and are still going through the, the health pandemic with COVID. Um, and, and actually, it's worth remembering when we came into that, we actually had a massive problem with mental illness, particularly in the workplace. And mental illness is the leading cause of absenteeism, presenteeism and staff turnover. And that was pre-COVID. And what we've seen as a result of the health pandemic is that actually very unfortunately, tragically, the prevalence of mental illness has increased. And there are now numerous studies coming out demonstrating that the prevalence has increased quite significantly in some places. Um, so actually, the problem that we had before that was really big has just got even bigger. The, the more positive trend, however, is that as a result of what we've been through, I think we've become more open about talking about our well-being and talking about our health. We're checking in with one another more often. And in a way, what we're seeing is the shackles of stigma that have held the topic back for such a long time are falling away. And that's allowing for a more honest, open conversation, which is a real opportunity for all of us. Now, tell us about the session that, that you uh, were in. How, how did that go? What were the key sort of issues that were raised? Yeah, so it was a really fascinating conversation. I was speaking with people from very large global organizations talking about actually how has the employee experience changed because over the last 18 months probably the employee experience has changed more than perhaps in the 30 years before that and we were really focusing on, on what does it mean the hybrid world of work how will organizations make sure that they're really doing the right thing around their employee well-being in a hybrid setting and there are so many challenges with that because ultimately we have a, a very diverse workforce and that diversity is realized by people having different lives and therefore being wanting to be met in their employee journey at different points based on what's going on in their life. So it's really complicated for organizations, but does present a big opportunity. And just talk us through how you're addressing these challenges with what you're doing at Unmind. So my background, as you mentioned, I'm a clinical psychologist and I became deeply frustrated with the fact that all of the focus on mental health is on reactive healthcare and not on proactive healthcare. But prevention is better than cure in all areas of healthcare. It's why we brush our teeth twice a day. It's why we all exercise. Mental health is no different. So Unmind, we're about five and a half years old now and we take a proactive and preventative approach to mental health, empowering employees and organizations to manage their mental health on an ongoing basis rather than waiting for problems to occur. And we work with global organizations around the world in empowering their employees. And if people want to find out more, where do they need they to go? go? Unmind.com. Very simple. Uh, Dr. Nick Taylor, thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much. So I am thrilled to be joined by Amanda McKenzie, OBE, Chief Executive of Business in the Community, the Prince's Responsible Business Network. As I mentioned in my interview a little earlier with Estelle Hollingsworth, Amanda is going to be chairing a panel session on the topic, What If Your Job Was Good For You?, which just happens to be the name of a report that BITC launched in July. Um, so I thought that's probably a good place to start. Do you want to just set some context around that report and, and why you produced it? Well, there's been a lot of talk around what do we actually need to do to begin to tackle some of the mental health issues in the workplace. And for me, it's quite an inspired piece of thinking that goes, but don't just tackle the problem, go one stage further. You know, there's been so much work done on how to create fitness and healthy people in the workplace. What's that equivalent? And as everyone talks about, clearly, you would never expect a workplace where there were physical hazards for that to be acceptable. You would have a very good process for piping up about them. So 
just apply that same thinking to mental health. So it wasn't a great leap of logic to say what would happen if your work was good for you and what might that mean. So with a fantastic collaboration of our Business in the Community Wellbeing Leadership Team, which is is chaired by um, Lloyds Bank, National partners including Mind, Mental Health UK, the Society of Occupational Medicine, Affinity Health at Work and endorsed by CIPD. So a real who's who thinking about mental health here. And it was evidence-based, action-driven and a couple of stats which I'm sure you may or may not be familiar with but they're still shocking and worthy to just think about Mm. again. You know, 41% of employees experience work-related mental health symptoms which are caused or worsened in the last year as a result of work. Couple that with the fact that 30% of people don't ever pipe up about the fact that they've got an issue, which is shocking. Coupled with the fact that 12% of people have realised that they were either demoted or removed from their post as a result of talking about mental health. That's a, a hideous combination of three stats. And you have to go, just turn it on its head. Just imagine the productivity, the innovation. Just imagine how great it could be if we tackle that once and for all. Yeah, Amanda, this is the third time in four years that we've been to Mad World. We do hear the same theme quite often. And, and what I just wanted to ask is, are you saying most organisations still don't have mental health and well-being on the risk register? For certain, I, I would agree. There's, there's, how, how are you going to know whether you're tackling it? So you mm. need to measure how people are feeling and you need to set what your benchmark is and then you need to decide you, you're going to accept a certain amount of risk of that figure getting worse, but ideally you don't. You go, right, I'm going to get better. But if you don't measure it, you're not going to know what gets measured gets done. So that's for a start. But I think just... The big finding we had was it's important to co-create your job with your line manager. The older I get, the more I reflect on this subject. Actually, so many of the issues we face in terms of are we creating a diverse and inclusive workplace, are we thinking about well-being holistically, are all around the calibre and the quality of the manager to have those conversations. Because if someone started by saying, what's it take for you to be as successful as I know you can be? Imagine a conversation with your employees started that way. So much else would come off the back. So I think it's not only the measurement side that will start to tackle this, because I think probably psychologically it was quite hard for people to get their head around a few years ago which is why there was a lot of talk because yeah. people were still conceptualizing this now we've kind of gone enough we've got to get after this Absolutely. but I really do come back to feeling it's the quality of how we tackle this issue for people and how we can help them do that so it is practical tangible stuff it's co-creation it's this constant collaboration and sharing what we learn which should uh, hopefully mean that you and I don't need to speak again in the nicest possible <laughs> sense. <laughs> so what, let's just get back to the report then. What are the, the main calls to action um, you know, that the report has created for employers? Tackle this issue. I mean, genuinely acknowledge you want to put mental health and safety on par with physical health and safety and embrace what that actually means and then genuinely make a commitment to co-create good jobs with people and have that conversation. And then, you know, big plug for business in the community. Our first report on what, you know, what if your job was good for you is freely available online for anyone to download. So please do that. Join us. We've got a bunch of expertise around this. And I would say that, wouldn't I? But above all, really 
head into tackling this problem because I think, you know, employment is very high at the moment. But just imagine how much more productive it could be if everyone was coming to work, you know, it's a cliche, but being able to give her their best. Yeah. So what's the next step in the programme that, that you're working on then? Uh, stage two report too because what we're trying to do is steal with pride all these great moments so one of the people on the panel is Estelle who you, you talk to is going to be talking about exactly what they've done uh, at Virgin to begin to bring this to life and that's what we need we need all those examples that will inspire people to get moving now you just mentioned about downloading the report so where do our listeners have to go to do that um www.bitc.org.uk fantastic or um, some such <laughs> <laughs> i think that is correct so you're good amanda mckenzie ab thank you so much for joining the podcast thank you very much so I'm now joined by Amy McEwen, who is a mental health and wellbeing strategist and consultant. Thanks for joining us, Amy. Pleasure to be here. Thank um, you. Your talk that you've just given was on Mental Health 2.0, what a good mental health strategy and framework looks like. Do you want to just talk us through what you were what you were discussing earlier? Yes. Yeah, so I've been in health and mental health for 20 years, uh, 20 years of writing and putting in strategies to organisations of all sizes. So I was talking about what Mental Health 2.0, i.e. post-pandemic mental health, looks like uh, and guiding people organizations through what a good strategy looks like what a good framework looks like and uh, most importantly how to navigate your way through the sort of many health and mental health providers there are now to buy the right things to implement it you know a lot of people are talking about mental health but there's very little how to actually get this right in an organization so i was trying to be the how well you, you've just queued me up for my next question then how do you ensure that you've got a good strategy well, you make sure that it's comprehensive and end-to-end. -end. You make sure it's got the right support. You make sure it's got the right stakeholders. But I think we need to move out of raising awareness and reducing the stigma to looking at what health and mental health provision you've got across the board, what education, prevention and promotion activities you're doing, what early intervention for staff, the role of line managers and employees in that, and then what healthcare support you've got for people who are off sick and how they're then managed back to the workplace. So a comprehensive end-to-end -end strategy, but that you've actually embedded through learning and development, inductions, training. It's part of your HR policies. It's a whole organization approach. Now, you only have to take a wander around the exhibition hall here to see how many apps and services there are. How does someone at that corporate team navigate around all these opportunities for them? With difficulty. Yeah. So a lot of the people that come to me are wanting to do something with good faith, but are totally overwhelmed in a kind of rabbit in the headlights type way with how much there is there. So I was covering you know, what to look for in a health provider to me you write your strategy first and then you choose the right providers based on that strategy a lot of the providers out there and there seem to be more each day can't show really good outcomes or clinical outcomes so what I try and encourage employees to do is to not think about health as an employee benefit but as a health service or something that needs to be based on the clinical outcomes to have an impact I mean well-being apps are slightly different but it's being really clear what you're buying and why and for what purpose and making sure that you're efficiently and effectively using spend to drive your strategy Amy what's the key message that you want attendees here and the, and the listeners to the podcast to take away so I think we're still in a position where health, mental health and well-being are regarded as HR issues. Now we're at a point where this week the COPS26 is happening 
I think in 10 years' time, health and mental health will be where ESG is now. Now, the key message to take home is that the conversation for the next decade will be who pays for healthcare and what is an organisation's role in both paying for healthcare and for um, ensuring good health and employees. If I was Boris Johnson, I would be looking at clearing the NHS, which is backlogged and broken, uh, by offering huge tax incentives to organisations that are prepared to commission decent primary, secondary and mental health care for employees. So for businesses, I would say this isn't an HR nice to have. It is a board level issue. You have an incentive to make sure that your staff are happy and well and are in the workplace. It is a bottom line business issue. And over the next 10 years, we're going to be asking who pays for healthcare because the taxpayer can't afford to anymore. Amy McEwen, uh, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode. So thanks again to all my guests who took the time to chat to us today and to the organising team at Mad World for making it happen and allowing us to record the interviews here at the event. Uh, We hope you've got a lot out of this episode and we'd love to hear any comments you may have on the topic of mental health and wellbeing in the workplace. So if you'd like to contribute, you can do that on our Facebook page, Twitter feed, our YouTube channel, LinkedIn and Instagram pages, which are all linked from the top of the website at csuitepodcast.com, where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes plus links to where you can follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via your favorite podcast app and if you've enjoyed the show please do give us a positive rating and review Uh, finally if you would like to get in touch with the show uh, you can do that on using the contact form on the website as well or you can connect with me on twitter using at ross goldsmith or you can find me on linkedin but for now thanks for listening and goodbye